G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Friday morning coming at you, I hope you're gearing up for a fantastic weekend. Uh, rolling into July, first episode that I'm recording in July, which means the NBA free agent market is open. There's already been a dozen or so blokes that have signed contracts, some of which I'll dive into. There's been a couple of other uh, headlines and stories that have come out that have sent ripple effects uh, through the NBA that I'll touch on as well. Thursday night footy in the books. We saw Brisbane take care of business against the Dogs, and that means two very different things for both of those teams. Another round of AFL fantasy is obviously underway now that round 16 has commenced. And there's a couple of things and a couple of curveballs that we were thrown in team selection and there's a few rumors out there that will complicate trade plans for coaches this weekend so like i said another quick fire friday episode here we go Before I dive into footy and basketball, first thing I want to talk about is a little bit of NFL stuff. It's been a while since I've addressed a lot of NFL news. Uh, I am still a big NFL enthusiast and I'll be talking about it as the season gears up. Also from a fantasy perspective, if you don't do NFL fantasy, I reckon that's a really good way to kind of pseudo follow the sport or get into it at the ground level. And I'm working on an article at the moment that I'm aiming to publish today, maybe tomorrow, talking about the teams who I think are poised to go from worst to first in their division. One of my bold predictions ahead of last year was that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to do that, mainly because I thought the AFC South is pretty shit, but didn't happen. The Jags really struggled, and as a result, they're still right at the bottom of the NFL standings. But there's a couple of teams who I think could pull off the feet. We saw the Cincinnati Bengals do it a year ago and make a run all the way to the Super Bowl. I did have a bit of faith that my Carolina Panthers... We're in that mix, but doesn't appear to be the situation. I think the Denver Broncos are poised well to make a charge at an AFC West crown, but that division is fucking loaded. you got Paddy Mahomes. Obviously, now that Denver has landed Russell Wilson, that puts them in a better position to challenge for a playoff spot. But the Oakland Raiders seem to have got stronger over the offseason by adding Devontae Adams, a big star wide receiver. And then you've got the LA Chargers who have arguably the best up-and-coming quarterback in Justin Herbert under center. So the Broncos have a tricky road ahead to complete that feat of going worst to first, but they do still finish high up on the pecking order. There's one team, though, that I think has a better chance to complete the feat, and that's the Baltimore Ravens. They were ravaged last year by injuries. They had, much like most teams, but plenty of other COVID issues. I think before the season kicks off, we'll probably see Lamar Jackson agree to a big, massive extension. And as long as he's under center and they're relatively healthy, I think that they can challenge in the AFC North. I don't have a lot of faith in the Steelers this year. The Browns have a very murky outlook when you consider Deshaun Watson's future and if Baker Mayfield's going to get traded somewhere else. But their main threat is probably the Cincinnati Bengals, the team that a season ago did jump from the fourth spot in the AFC North up to the top of the division. And I do wonder if we can see the Baltimore Ravens repeat that feat this year. I think that they're primed to finish in the top two and challenge for a playoff spot. They'll be right in the mix. But of all the teams that finished at the bottom of their division last year, I think they have the best chance of taking out the division crown in 2022. 
Second item of business, I want to talk about Thursday night footy. We saw the Lions flex their muscle and take care of business against the Western Bulldogs. And like I said, it means two very different things for both those teams. I still have faith in Brisbane as a contender. I think, like I talked about with JLo and earlier in the week, I think Melbourne's still here. And then there's a bit of daylight between them and the rest of the field. But Brisbane's probably leading the rest of the field in my eyes. Geelong has been one of the form teams in the last couple of weeks. Collingwood's making a surge, the likes of Richmond and Frio, Carlton, Sydney. They're all in the mix. But I think Brisbane cemented the fact last night that they're still a genuine threat and we can't be taking them too lightly. But it doesn't bode well for the Western Bulldogs finals campaign that they copped a close to 40 point, it was roughly 40 point loss at the Gabba. They've got a really tough stretch of games coming up as well. I've had my obvious concerns about their defense. And at the moment, they're sitting at eight and seven, just outside the eight looking in. They got to travel to Sydney next week to play the Swans, which does actually loom as a very interesting game. After that, they then play Melbourne, who I've just spoken about, and I think that they're elite. You then take on Geelong in Geelong, which is one of the toughest tasks in footy. And then they got the Dockers at Marvel Stadium. So let's say best case scenario, they go three and one. I can't really see that happening. So let's say two and two. That means they're going to be sitting at 10 and nine with three games to go in the home and away season. And they're probably going to have to win all three of them to push out some of these other teams contending. Granted, if St. Kilda drop the bag tonight against Carlton and Collingwood start to slip or we see some of these other teams fall out of the picture, it might be okay for the dogs. But losing last night really does hurt them. I think they'll go in, pun intended, as underdogs against the Swans next week. And then they'll probably have the same uh, record or the same, they'll be the same betting position against the dogs, against the D's rather, and then against the Cats when they take them on in Geelong. So all of a sudden, we all expected the Western Bulldogs to find their mojo, push their way up the ladder. But the longer the season progresses and the less that they keep winning, it seems like we could be watching the Bulldogs throw their 2022 finals campaign away. I hope I'm wrong because I really think that at full strength, they're an elite side, but their worst has been pretty bad this year. And I think a couple of the losses they've had already could cost them a spot in the eight. All right, I've buried the lead. The next topic I want to discuss is NBA free agency. So like I said, we're about, well, what's the time? It's about half past nine in WA. So we're about three, four hours into free agency kicking off. And we've seen a lot of minor deals get done. Bobby Portis, I don't know if you'd call him a minor deal, but role player-esque. He re-signed to stay with Milwaukee for another four years. Joe Ingles is going to join the Bucks as well, which is kind of cool. Hopefully we can see ISO Joe get a uh, ring before he's done. I know, yes, that Joe Johnson is ISO Joe, but Joe Johnson uh, is one of my favorite players. So I think he won't mind if I share the nickname with Joe Ingles. There's a couple of other minor moves. I mean, we all expected Anthony Simons and Bradley Beal to stay with their respective franchises. That's what's going to happen. We saw a couple of other dudes re-sign. Malik Monk, who's heading to Sacramento. That's a somewhat interesting move. PJ Tucker is on his way to Philly. Lou Dort re-signed for five years and 87 million with the Thunder, which is another cool move. A couple of other little tweaks and changes. We saw uh, Lonnie Walker and Juan Toscano-Anderson be picked up by the Los Angeles Lakers, which could be something. It might amount to nothing. And there's still a couple of crown jewels, as I like to say, in the free agent market. Obviously, where Zach Levine decides to go could have a flow-on effect for a lot of players. Dallas, they just signed JaVale McGee to a three-year 
I think it was about $21 million deal. So they've got a solid backup center now as well. Now they've lost Boban in the Christian Wood trade. So there's a couple of rosters that are starting to take shape and we're seeing a lot of role players really snapped up at the moment that could contribute to winning sides. But I'll be very intrigued just to see where the big dogs go. Colin Sexton, obviously, as I've spoken about, is a restricted free agent. So Cleveland appear like they're going to set uh, match any offer that comes at him. Miles Bridges might have cost himself a bit of money in the last few days as well. He was arrested on domestic violence charges, and we've talked about how Detroit were potentially prepared to offer him a near-max deal. And I wonder if they're going to hesitate now. Jalen Brunson appears set to become a Nick. And like I said, the off-season rumour mill is churning into overdrive. So there's still some things that are left to play out that will dictate where the lesser names go. But just where these big names do decide to go, I think like Levine, I don't know if you'd qualify Colin Sexton as a big name, but the remaining big names, that will have a very interesting effect on the rest of this free agent class. Another thing that's going to have an effect on this free agent class and item number four today is Kevin Durant's trade request. This was kind of expected, but still shocked a lot of people. There's been a lot that's going on with the Brooklyn Nets. We saw that Kyrie Irving had plenty of drama and there's no guarantees that he's going to stay with the Nets. I know he's picked up his player option, but there are still rumors that he wants to force his way to the Lakers. And I think deep down, I'd kind of like to see it, but they would probably have to find a third home for Russell Westbrook to make that happen. There's some stupid rumors out there saying that Durant and Kyrie are going to try and get to LA and join the Lakers. But I think that's a very severe pipe dream. Durant apparently on his trade wish list has a couple of teams in line. He's interested in joining the Phoenix Suns, which could be a very nice fit. And the Miami Heat, who I also think are a nice fit, but probably not as clean as Phoenix. And I think Phoenix is almost in the box seat to pull off a deal here because they've still got DeAndre Ayton. They could do a nice sign and trade with Brooklyn so that they have something to build around. You could throw Miles Bridges, uh, Mikhail Bridges rather, into the trade. I know there'd be a lot of Suns fans that don't want to part ways with him. He looks like he's going to challenge for Defensive Player of the Year honours for the next decade. But if you're going to get Kevin Durant as a result, with Chris Paul nearing the end of his career and Devin Booker putting up as much points as he does, you probably don't need many other pieces around them on the roster. And Phoenix does seem to bat pretty deep. They've got a couple of dudes who I really like and who they re-sign and involve in a potential trade could dictate a couple of other moves. But Kevin Durant going to the Suns, I actually don't hate the idea of it. Might even uh, look at getting a Kevin Durant Phoenix jersey if that was to come to fruition. Miami, like I said, are the other early suitors. And I think there'll be tons of others that emerge over the next couple of days and weeks. And where he ends up will be one of the main storylines to watch over the rest of the early NBA offseason. But the Miami Heat, they're going to probably struggle to keep their big core together. And the core, I mean, of Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. If they have those three and they want to keep Kevin Durant, they might almost have to trade the rest of their roster. Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero are two names that have been flirted with as potential trade chips if they were going to make a play at a Donovan Mitchell or a Bradley Beal or someone. But adding those two salaries together only gets you to about half of what KD's contract is. So they might have to part ways with Bam and they have Kyle Lowry, Butler and Durant. Don't know if Miami wants to go down that route. I think they should almost try and see if they can ditch the other two dudes who I mentioned, Robinson and Hero, to get a, another star, but not someone of a superstar Kevin Durant level. I think that they've got enough around them. They probably don't need to go for that home run. But 
if you can get Kevin Durant, you can get Kevin Durant. I'm sure 29 other teams in the NBA would actually 30, if you include Brooklyn, now that he doesn't want to be there. I'm sure there's 30 teams in the NBA who wouldn't be complaining if they have Durant under contract and his landing spot will send ripple effects through the rest of the league. And it could obviously dictate a little bit of the championship uh, market for the next couple of seasons too. Item number five is AFL fantasy time. The ruck carnage continues. Obviously the teams were announced last night and there was no team English, which most of us expected. There was no Braden Proust, which some people were clinging out hope for, which is a bummer. That bloke continues to wreck fantasy seasons around Australia. And there are doubts over Luke Jackson as well, which has sent the alarm bells ringing at the large Fries and Coke HQ because he was my trade target this week. And if he doesn't get named, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I might have to do a double downgrade or field another rookie. I'll have to stay very much glued to Twitter and to watching Luke Jackson's status prior to their game against Adelaide tomorrow afternoon. But it's, it's not ideal. Like I said, the rucks have been screwed over most people still have Darcy Cameron or someone in there. And it seems like Brody Grundy is a couple of weeks away, but Max Gorn could appear as early as next week. And a lot of people will want to jump straight back on him. There's no guarantees that Tim English does play again in round what are we, 17 next week either. Luke Beveridge this morning said we expect him to, and he's in line, but he's no certainty. So he's had concussion issues before. He missed a big chunk of games early in the year. And they're probably going to tread lightly, especially if their season starts to go down the toilet with Tim English's health. So watch this space. We may not see English return ASAP. But let's talk a little bit about the fantasy outlook from Thursday night. A lot of people would have had Jack McRae as a VC. Score of 93 probably isn't going to cut the mustard. Some people have also had Lockie Neal. Score of 133 is something you'll definitely lock in. So there's two obviously very conflicting captain scores, potentially Josh Dunkley as well. I think from memory, he scored in the low hundreds. Maybe you want to cash that in. Not too sure. There are some doubts over Trelaw's health status and the fact that he may have hurt his hammy. I didn't get to watch the game. I was at footy training myself. But again, if you've got Adam Trelaw on your side, you may want to be very glued to the Twitter sphere and the news updates as they come throughout the week. But Dane Zorko, I think, is now a candidate for the never again list for me. This fucking guy. I know that he has his injury issues and... I only have myself to blame for holding on to him for this long. But like I said with J-Lo, he's one of the dudes that will score you an 80 and then 130. And the average will still hopefully come out somewhere in the low hundreds. But his average will not be in the low hundreds after scoring a six. He's actually the uh, earliest Medi sub used so far this season. Shout out to Sir Swamp Thing. I saw that this morning. Not ideal to open up the app and see, because your defense is first, that there's a glaring six on my field. I trusted you, Dane. You had one fucking job. You just needed to go out there. I would have taken an 80, to be honest, mate. But with a break even of 120, he's in the low 700s. Now he's set to pour out value. He's probably going to have a break even of 150 and be about 650 in price. <sighs> he's got to go. It's time to cut your losses. If you're a fellow Dane Zorko owner, I feel for you. Let's just hope the rest of the weekend isn't full of carnage. Luke Jackson gets up. And there's no other big injury issues to worry about. So that I can fucking get rid of this bloke with my trades next weekend. Sixth topic on the agenda. Last one. I want to talk some of the NBA trades and mainly DeJounte Murray to the Atlanta Hawks. From an Atlanta perspective, don't hate it. I actually kind of like the idea of going out and getting another star. I thought they might have been giving up players to do it, but instead they've sacrificed three future picks and a couple of pick swaps 
whilst giving up Danilo Gallinari. So essentially just someone who can match the contracts. His deal is only partially guaranteed. So I can't really honestly see him playing much for the Spurs, if at all. And DeJounte Murray is a real defensive, versatile guard who I think will help improve Atlanta. And they need some defenders in that backcourt if they're going to try and build around Trey Young. So those two should form a pretty interesting and unique star tandem. There's not many guys that you see join forces that average seven to eight assists each. So I do wonder how much of the table setting DeJounte Murray will do if he drops back to kind of more of a 25 and five guy or a 23 five and six or something of the sorts. And Trey Young is the one who's really challenging for the assist crown. But either way, I actually think that Atlanta didn't give up enough. Uh, sorry, San Antonio didn't get enough in this deal. These picks that they've got from Atlanta are fine and they've done a good job of finding diamonds in the rough previously. But now the Spurs are a bit of a, I know I use this analogy a couple of times this week, but a bit of a rudderless ship. They don't really have a lot of direction now. I can't see Popovich hanging around and wanting to coach this squad for much longer. Anyway, he's nearing retirement. There's not too many other young pieces on the roster I like. As I said, Lonnie Walker just signed with the Lakers. I thought DeJounte Murray was their cornerstone or someone to build a franchise around. So a bit of a perplexing move from the Spurs. Clearly, they're going to jump in the tank and try and land this Victor Wembanyama. Wembanyama, Wembanyama bloke from France who looks like uh, one of the best draft prospects of our generation, but there's no guarantee they're going to get there. So interesting move by the Spurs. Hopefully it pays off for them, but I don't have uh, high hopes that's going to be the case. The other trade we saw was a bit of a weird one that occurred between the Denver Nuggets and the Washington Wizards the other day. If you ask me, it's a bit of a meh trade from both sides. We saw Will Barton and Monte Morris go to Washington, which gives them two pros. It's a solid move. And they gave up Ish Smith and Contavious Caldwell Plope. So Denver gets another defensive potential guard, someone who could hopefully play the similar role that Gary Harris played for them in years past. Jamal Murray, healthy, is obviously going to eat into a lot of Monte Morris's minutes. And we've saw that backups like Facundo Campazzo and Bones Highland can play a bit more of a, a bigger role as a backup floor general. But I don't think it moves the needle for either teams in any factor. Will Barton I actually thought was a bit underrated during his time as a nugget. There's a lot of times, because I watch a lot of Denver basketball with JLo, where Will Barton makes boneheaded plays, but he's cut from a similar cloth to Marcus Smart because every now and then it'll pay off and he'll do something really good. He'll average his 15, five and five and play pretty solid defense. So I hope that KCP can step into that role for the nuggets and they can keep contending, especially with a healthy roster. And from a Washington perspective, I guess Monte Morris gives them a bit more stability at point guard. And maybe if he's given the starting role and he plays a bit more uh, as a floor general next to Bradley Beal or Johnny Davis, who they just drafted someone of the sort, maybe we see Monte emerge as a bit of a better fantasy play and a bit better of a star. I don't think star is really on the table, but with a bigger role, he might be able to expand his uh, outlook and production now as a Washington wizard. It's also worth mentioning that in the deal, Ish Smith will now join his 13th NBA team. So if he takes to the court for the Denver Nuggets, he will break the record for the most franchises played for in his career. So if you're not going to be one of the blokes that regularly makes all-star games and makes thousands and millions of dollars in his NBA career, having that record isn't exactly a bad thing. And that is another Sportsbee episode in the books. Hopefully, like I said, the rest of the fantasy weekend is smooth sailing for all the coaches out there. Intriguing matchups. I'm very excited to watch the Collingwood 
and Gold Coast game. I think the Suns are going to get the dub, but Gold Coast, they got their backs against the wall after losing to Port, and Collingwood's one of the form teams of the competition. And in the NBA, Kevin Durant's decision and where he gets traded to is really going to be a heavy talking point over the next couple of weeks, if it lasts that long, let's be honest. And there's still free agency dominoes to fall as well. So I'll be back on Monday to wrap up all of that and give you another little quick GSFL update. Uh, we got our game on Saturday, so should be good times for the Sharkies this weekend. But thanks for listening to this podcast. Have a ripper weekend. Catch you next time.